Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, uh, Ryan Sweet. Ryan is the Director of Real-Time Economics and Chris Dorides. Chris is the Deputy Chief Economist. Well, uh, this is Saturday morning, a little unusual for us. Mm -hmm. um, uh, did you have a, a good uh, start to the day? Yeah, so far yeah. so good. You know, so far so good. Any day that starts with coffee is a good day. So. <laughs> Wawa coffee? No, you've got your own espresso machine. I've got my own special blend. So, <laughs> yeah, Ecuador, little Colombian, Nicaragua. You know, Nicaragua. you gotta mix them up. <laughs> I really like the Indian. I like the Indian coffee, actually. Oh, really? Is, you know, I didn't think they were a major grower, but apparently they are. Can you drink Wawa coffee, or is it just so far below your your standards? I love Wawa. I love Wawa okay. coffee. Yeah. I'm not a coffee snob. All right. You know, despite the image that Mark tries to project, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, you're an eclectic <laughs> coffee drinker. You know. I, I mentioned. I mentioned addict, Egypt. But... I mentioned Egypt. I can't imagine they have got coffee beans in Egypt. No. Do you know? I don't know, but coffee comes from that part of the world, of the world. Right? Right? Yeah. around there. So I don't know. I, I doubt, yeah. though. I think it's a little further south. You know, I've often thought that everyone should take like at least a half hour out of their day. They should, you should exercise, you know, half hour. So something like that every, every day. You should take a half hour and just think about how to improve the way you, you live you know, like coffee. Like I don't think about it at all. I just walk into Wawa and I got my, get my hazelnut coffee, 16 ounce, three little half and halves, but there's oh. got, it's gotta be better than that. Right. That's not even coffee. Come on. I, how, there you go. I knew it. So what am I missing? I'm missing hazelnut so much. plus the creamer. <laughs> yes. That's right. You know, I've got like, you guys think about, your coffee you think people think about their wine they think about you know what shoes to buy i i don't think about any of that i'm You're missing so autopilot. much i'm on autopilot yeah you're thinking about the numbers oh but i'm you know i i gotta do this i gotta do this anyway <laughs> um well here it is saturday morning uh, the reason is that i was traveling yesterday on friday and uh, got delayed. And so unfortunately, we couldn't record that till this morning, but that's okay. We've got perspective now on that consumer price report, mm -hmm. which was pretty miserable. Uh, we knew it was going to be miserable, but it was more miserable than we thought. Uh, so maybe let's just dive right into it. Hey, Ryan, just give us a sense of that report. Well, I think you summarized it right there. It was miserable. Uh, you know, the CPI, the consumer price index was up 1% uh, month over month. Uh, that was stronger than... Uh, we anticipated or the consensus. So uh, in the, the primary culprit was uh, higher energy prices, particularly gasoline. And a lot of that can be traced back to Russia's invasion of Ukraine that caused uh, global oil prices to spike and retail prices, uh, retail gasoline prices. You know, we've talked about it on past podcasts. Na the national average, according to AAA, is at $5 per gallon. So Unfortunately, we're going to go higher. So I think when we talk about the outlook, we can talk about energy prices because wholesale gasoline prices, which lead retail gasoline prices, which are going to lead the CPI for gasoline, point towards a national average of $5.50 over the next couple of weeks. So oh. a little bit more pain at the pump to come. Uh, but $5.50, you said? I, I didn't know. It was... That's based on wholesale. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. So 
the trips to Wawa are getting more and more expensive. Yeah, right. Um, Going to have to walk. I know. But it's not just gas. It's food prices. They were up right. uh, more than anticipated in May. So overall, the, the Well, that's also energy-related, energy related, right? Yeah. Diesel mm-hmm. prices. And yeah. a very bad crop season in the U.S. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. For for what? Well, it depends. If, if, if we're playing the stats game, I got to hold on to my oh, number. Really? I, somehow I missed that. So the grain prices are up a lot that are, are related to not related to Russia, Ukraine, but I mean, that's got to be partly related to that, but also it's partly to, related. Yep. We've got weather issues, right? We have ongoing drought. And yeah. then around the world, there are that's true. weather issues all over. Um, and there's been some trade agreements between a couple of countries where they're sending wheat to them in exchange for fertilizer. And that's exacerbating the supply issues that are global now. Okay. So the number was here. There's a, there's a little technical issue here. So, uh, you know, we're all focused on the year over year growth in the consumer price index Mm -hmm. and uh, there's seasonally adjusted data and seasonally unadjusted data. And if you do the year over year calculation, it's different. Uh, Do you want to explain that Ryan? Just this little technical matter. It's technical in the sense that important in that, is it whether inflation was higher peaked in March or peaked mm-hmm. now in May, uh, or may have not peaked at all? But you know, can you just describe that issue first? Uh, yeah, no problem. So the BLS reports it as non-seasonally adjusted, uh, and that's in the report. That's what gets all the headlines in the in the press and on on the news. And that was eight point six percent year over year. So if you don't adjust for these, you know, uh, seasonal patterns, which you know it's pretty easy to identify normal uh, you know, price changes from month to month. Uh, if you adjust for it, which is seasonally adjusted, which we look at, that was 8.5%. But at least historically, when you look at the difference between year-over-year growth and non-seasonally adjusted versus seasonally adjusted, it's really small. I mean, this is also a small, it's a tenth. Uh, but as your point, it determines whether or not inflation peaked already or uh, we had a new 40-year high in May. Yeah, and your, your view is that we should be looking at the seasonally adjusted series and year over year, that would be 8.5, which would be below the March peak of 8.6. A little bit of below. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, We're moving in the right direction. Yeah. No, it's 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 a historical record. And, you know, if you read the New York times or the press accounts, they're saying 8.6 new 40 year high, but you would say, Mm -hmm. no, it's no, that was, that was March. Correct. Of course. Now given $5 and 50 cents a gallon, it could be, Temporary. June could be a new yeah. high. So Correct. You know, we're not quite there yet. Okay. Yeah. Energy and food prices. I mean, there's no sign that food prices are going to start to moderate anytime soon. But you know, the May gain was very, very broad based. You know, very few components of the CPI fell month over month or you know, even year over year. Uh, but energy really left its mark. I mean, you and I were, were chatting about even uh, the core CPI, which strips out food and energy prices, which are volatile. And you know, economists, we look at core CPI, because that's a good predictor of you know, what underlying inflation is and where it's likely headed. That was up 0.6% month over month, identical to what we got uh, uh, in April. And year over year, it was uh, seasonally adjusted with 6%. Got it. You do this really great decomposition of the year over year growth uh, into what's related to energy, what's related to supply chains and other factors. Mm-hmm. Can you can you walk us through that decomposition? Yeah, no problem. So this is decomposing 
uh, year-over-year growth in the headline CPI. Uh, and what we do for the supply chain um, uh, components, we went through the, you know, the bowels of the report. Well, first identified. do energy. Energy, because right, we'll that's obvious. Do one. energy first yeah. and then go to so, the supply chain. So Easy. energy's contribution to year-over-year growth in the CPI was 2.8 percentage points in uh, May. That's and up it, from... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. Um, double check. Oh, it was up from 2.3 percentage points in April. Okay. So 8.5% year-over-year increase of that 2.8 percentage points was directly related to the higher energy prices, oil, basically. Correct. Oil, okay. gasoline, uh, uh, heating oil, things like that. Yeah, but they're all go back all grouped to, together. Yep. Yeah, they all go back to. So if I take 8.5 and I subtract 2.8, what is that? That's uh, uh, 3 point. Five. No, no, no. 5.7. 5. 5. Correct. 5.7%. Yep. Okay. But, but that still doesn't do complete justice to the contribution to inflation of energy because, as we pointed out, it's led to higher diesel prices, which causes food prices to be higher. And it's also bleeding into things like airfares and, and other right. things. Yeah, because the relationship between, there's a very strong relationship between growth in jet fuel prices and growth in the CPI for airfares. So it's more expensive yeah. to fill up the plane, makes they're going to charge yeah. you more. So yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, it makes sense. So how much of the 8.5% is, let's call it the indirect effects of energy? I, I can calculate that. I haven't done it yet. Okay, but two point eight percent is direct. It feels like, by my calculation, it feels like almost another point—not quite, but almost another point—is related to the indirect effects of the higher. Mm -hmm. and, and when I say indirect, not too far indirect. I mean, I got to shit. I got to move stuff from the farm to the store shelf. That costs diesel. That that goes to the cost of diesel. And if so, I do the calculations. It's about a point. Mm -hmm. Not quite a point, but let's let's go let's go let's go with a point. So we went from eight and a half down to five seven. Take another point off. That's four seven. Okay, mm -hmm. and then let's go to supply chains. That, that's next. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the impact of that is on the CPI? So when you add it up, I mean the bulk of the supply chain uh, constraint component CPI is new and used vehicles, uh, but it also includes bedding, furniture, children's apparel, things that are being really affected by the supply chains. That's electronics. one electronics, right? One and a half percentage points in May. One and a half. So that's, yeah, that's down. It was closer to two just a couple months ago. So, and you've seen that supply chain stress is, you know, eased a little bit. So this is encouraging, but it was one and a half percentage points in May. Okay. And one thing that confused me a little bit is didn't used car prices rise in yeah. the month? Mm -hmm. And it had fallen for a couple months and we thought used car prices might have rolled over. And, and we construct our own measure of used car prices based on actual transactions. And that looks like that continued to weaken in the month of May. It's up a lot year over year, but on a sequential basis, it looked like it declined. Any any sense of that? You know why that happened? Is that just goes to seasonal adjustment and hedonics, or what is that? Uh, it's hard to pinpoint, but they change the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, alter their methodology for how they calculate vehicle prices in the CPI. So now it's transaction based. So I don't know if there's hmm. you, know, you know just you know, growing pains as we're transitioning to the new data, but 
uh, that could be one one thing to keep an eye on. I think vehicle prices are volatile from month to month, and this new methodology may be increasing the volatility. Right. Okay. So if I take you said one point five percentage points. So right. if I take if I uh, take that out, that brings that down to what three point two percent. 3.2%. Okay. Uh, any other aspects of that decomposition? That we have a reopening component. The reopening these are, component. These are things that are sensitive to reopening. <clears throat> so food away from home, for example, lodging away from home, airfares. Uh, and that added uh, four uh, tenths of a percentage point to uh, year over year growth in May. So that takes us down to 2.8%. percent mm-hmm. So, so how, how how long do you consider something a reopening? I mean, we've been reopening a while now. So yeah, that's a great question. You, I mean, you, if you look at you know air travel, for example, I mean, demand was still depressed, but it's picked up a lot recently. And I think that's just more, you know, normalizing of, of you know the uh, consumer's behavior. Okay, right. so until we get the TSA travel checkpoints, for example, back up and consistently. Yeah, I don't think it has to be all the way back up levels. before we drop it because business okay. travel is not going to recover okay. soon. So, but leisure travel is. Okay. Okay. So maybe through the summer, you would continue mm-hmm. to say that we're still reopening. Well, and also this is year over Parts. year. So you, yeah. you know, you're capturing stuff that's happened over the past year, the reopening. Right. So right. Yeah, we can drop it once Mark's flying five days a week again. Yeah. Well, it feels like that's happening sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> It doesn't it feel that way? I mean, my in, number of in, invitations I'm getting to speak at different functions has risen sharply here mm-hmm. in the last few weeks, a couple months. Um, yeah. You too, Chris? Oh, yeah. I was just yeah. at the uh, SBFE conference yesterday. SBFE. That's a small business financial oh, yeah. exchange. SBFE. So I want to shout out. Yeah. And we have a super fan there. I want to shout out to Mike Farley. So, uh, yeah. Oh, you're sucking uh, up to, to Mike yeah. Farley. Okay. They, uh, you know, he, uh, he really, li- really listens to us religiously <laughs> and had a lot of commentary. So, uh, it is funny. I, know? and now you're right. I, I was at an event in New York at the beginning of this week, uh, a rating agency event. Oh, actually it was Moody's one, you know, it was rating Mo- agency, Moody's analytics. Everyone was kind of there for, I think it was the first, they told me it was the first conference that involved everybody. Hmm. And, uh, I, I heard a number of people come up and say, they really enjoy the podcast. That's really great to hear. Yeah. Uh, okay. So where were we? Oh, so we're down to two eight, two eight, yeah. which is in spitting distance of the Fed's Federal Reserve's target. And I would say for CPI, Consumer Price Index, that the top end of that target would be two and a half percent. Correct. Right. Would you agree with mm-hmm. that? I agree. Okay. So you, 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 from that vantage point, from that decomposition, if it feels like what you're intimating is that if I, this hyperinflation experiencing now is, is largely, if not entirely due to the ongoing effects of the pandemic, supply chain issues, reopening, and most importantly, most, most uh, immediately is the Russian invasion of Ukraine and its impact on commodity markets, particularly the energy market. Is that yeah, fair just to don't, say? Don't say hyperinflation. If high well, hyperinflation compared to where we were a well, year yeah, ago, yeah. but it's not yeah. hyperinflation in the Weimar uh, Republic sense of the word. We're, we're already getting client questions. 
about oh, is that right? the prospect yeah. of hyperinflation in the U.S. And now I always tell them it's not going to happen in the U.S. And now they're going to be like Zandy said, how hyperinflation. hyperinflation. Oh, I see. That's okay. it. Yeah. Why okay. is there it is. in the baseline? Why is it yep. in the baseline? Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay. I, I'll, I'll choose my words carefully. It's mm-hmm. uh, very uncomfortably high inflation. Painfully yeah, that's high. Perfect. Painfully that's high. Painfully high is good. Painfully high inflation, particularly for the average American, right? Because you do that great calculation of, you know, what inflation means for the spending, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to give the listener a sense of that? Yeah. So having inflation up 8.5% seasonally adjusted year over year is at, uh, costing the average household $460 and 20 cents per month uh, to buy the same basket of goods this year as they did last year. Yeah. For, it takes uh, to buy the same goods and services as uh, uh, the typical American household uh, spent last year, they'd have to spend $460 more to mm-hmm. botch that. So let me say it again. For the typical American household, they have to spend $460 a month more to buy the same goods and services that they were buying this time last year. Correct. Right. Wow. Uh, that's that's a lot of money. And the typical American household makes what in, in a typical year? Seventy k, something like that, a little less than seventy k. Chris might know off the top of his head. That's I thought, like yeah. sixty five, right? Yeah, sixty. Between uh, 60 I think it's 70. more than that. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it depends which measure, right? Yeah. Well, it sounds like we should have a bet on this one, which I can win finally if we mm-hmm. we bet on this one. It's probably, I think it's like sixty eight and a half k or something. But anyway, Ryan will tell us. Nominal dollars. So. Nominal dollars. <laughs> nominal dollars. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Um, Given this decomposition, it, it sounds like, it feels like what we're saying is that the number one and two issues behind this high inflation is the pandemic and the Russian invasion. Is that fair to say? Yes, I think that's very fair. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I would stress, though, if we're talking energy, prices were up before the invasion, right? So. Well, they were the anticipating the invasion. They, yeah, well, they were already on the right, right? The pandemic no, 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 reopening. No. I don't re- think so. What? I, I don't think so. All <laughs> prices were headed south. They weren't headed north. Yeah. From last back, year? Yeah. Yeah. Go back to the fall of last year. Yeah. Go back before you like, uh, 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 this is a factual uh, point. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but they were but certainly it, up from a year ago. Oh, yo, right? yeah. No, yeah, no, no doubt. So. But they were, they were starting <laughs> it's to not come back in. You know, it felt like they were headed, they were, what I don't know, I can't remember 75, 80 bucks a barrel, and they didn't feel like they were going higher, they felt like they were going lower, you know, back end of last year. Uh, it probably would have gone lower because of the Chinese shutdown, right? Because some weakness, uh, yeah, weakness in demand. So, yeah. West Texas Intermediate peaked in October, yeah, 2021 at yeah. $85 a barrel, okay, and it started falling, yeah, and then exactly bottomed out probably mid-December at $70 yeah. and Perfect. then resumed rising. And that, that's that's you know right. It started rising because people started anticipating, you know, when did Russia invade? It was February or something. February. But it, it, February. If you go back and look at the press accounts, it was already on the radar screen in December. People were starting to price it in. So uh, I would proffer that, uh, that uh, prices would be lower, you know, 70, 75 bucks, which it wasn't too far from our equilibrium price. What we think the price should be if you don't have these wacko things going on in the world, you know, consistent with the marginal cost of producing the marginal barrel of oil, which is in the fracking fields of the US and, and getting that that oil into the global marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, okay. Yeah. Um, if we're talking year over year and we've been talking year over year inflation, you have to 
you know, the price of oil yes, was already yes. much higher than it was a year ago yeah, okay, by that right. point, right? All <laughs> right? I'm just saying uh, we would have been headed south as opposed to headed north on oil, but but nonetheless, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not denying the Russian invasion so, had a huge impact. So is the uh, is it the fair to then say that the inflation we're observing now is largely due to supply side disruptions to the economy as opposed to demand side effects? What would you say? I mean, it feels like it, right? I mean, th yeah. these are supply side issues, not demand side issues, largely. But yeah, I would, I would agree that the majority, but there is some demand yeah. inflation, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say the demand pull inflation is most obvious in housing, in the, in the rents, mm -hmm. the homeowner's equivalent rent, which is another aspect of this high inflation, which is, you know, and that and that's why, in my view, we're, you know, not at two and a half, two and a half. We're at what do we calculate? Three two. You know, that is the uh, delta, largely related to the acceleration in rent growth, which is, I guess, supply and demand, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we didn't build enough homes or apartments for the past decade. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, we have a, a affordable housing shortage. Vacancy rates across the housing stock are pretty close to record lows, you know, considering both for rent and for 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 sale. And that goes to very weak building, home building since the financial crisis and the housing bust. But it also goes to some significant, I'd say, recently in, increase in demand. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Particularly, yeah. You saw it in the CPI. Although you could yeah. argue that's reopening effects too, somehow, so, you know, to, in part, right? Because you had all these millennials that doubled up or didn't start households during the teeth of the pandemic and then have most recently. So that, mm -hmm. that surge in demand, particularly for rental properties for rent, it you know, then conflates with the lack of supply. And then that adds yeah. to the rent growth that we're observing right now, the very double, strong double-digit rent growth we're observing right now. Yeah, millennials are getting, they can't, I mean, a large number of them, 40 million of them are moving into their prime age, first time home buyer, but affordability is so low that they're getting pushed back into rental markets and that's driving up tenant rents. Yeah. Okay. You know, there, there's a, a, a number of other, so we say supply, we say mostly supply side problems related to the pandemic and Russian invasion, some demand side issues, mm -hmm. most obviously with regard to rents and housing costs. You mentioned a little bit of that in airfares. That's, you know, we are seeing some of that. The flip of that is, though, we are seeing less demand for goods. Inventories have built there, and we're starting to see some price weakness for products that, goods products that are in, it's now in, in oversupply, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, weren't there declines in the price of household furnishings? No, or no, it was household, not furnishings. Household goods like mm -hmm. uh, cleaning supplies and that kind of thing, right? So okay, so we are starting to see the this because of the switch in demand from buying stuff to buying well services, travel. Uh, it's the most obvious restaurants, eating out. That's having some impact on relative pr prices. That, that yeah, there was also year-over-year -year declines. Not a lot of them, but there was some in cell phones. Uh, that always happens, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's that, technology. I can never figure that one out. But that's hedonics, isn't it? I mean, TVs, TVs are, hedonics, TVs are always down. Right? But, yeah. yeah, I think hedonics so. meaning quality, quality adjustments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the quality, even the price stays the same or goes up. But if you have these 
improvements in the quality the you know the of the TV or the consumer any consumer electronics it, the price yeah. will decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, but there's other uh, explanations for the higher inflation that are out there. I'm just curious. I, I'm going to throw the, a few of them out there and just get your sense of it. Uh, one is uh, around um, energy markets, energy prices. You know, we keep going back to the Russian invasion of Ukraine because that feels like that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. But do you hear this uh, argument that it's regulation of the energy sector that's at work here, that that's the problem? That In the U.S.? Energy regulation. No, they're just saying that's the, that's that the cause of global oil prices. Because of the movement towards green yeah. energy, we've decimated yeah. the uh, yeah. fossil well, fuel industry, right? That's, so the, uh, that's the that's the argument. The theory, yeah. And it goes to why uh, global U.S. producers aren't ramping up production more quickly. That they can't. That you know they can't get a permit. Environmental regulation. Whatever it is, uh, there are some. Sometimes people argue this and don't give you a real sense of what regulation they're talking about. It's right. just regulation. Uh, any credence to that argument? Like I don't think that I don't think there's any credence in terms of an actual. I can't. To your point, I don't think you can point to a, a specific action that's been taken over the last couple of years here that says, "Aha, you, you know, this driller wanted to drill here, but." was prevented uh, from doing so. And therefore we have this, uh, this issue. I think the argument rests on the, the sentiment that perhaps the administration, this is the theory, the administration is putting forward this idea that, you know, it's just not going to be profitable. There are going to be regulations coming uh, in the future that will make it uh, prohibitive to continue as a fossil fuel extractor. And therefore no one's going to take the risk uh, to invest a lot upfront here. If the uh, if the market's going to go away later on, that's that's the idea. So I don't. You know, again, I, I think it's more about the environment, the the sentiment, rather than an actual action. Yeah. Uh, that's been taken here. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that that it, I I think there is an argument to be made that this move towards renewables away from fossil fuel is depressing investment in. The exploration and development of fossil fuel uh, that is playing a role, but I don't think it's playing any role in this spike in oil and energy prices we're observing now. The, nothing has changed on the regulatory front that would say, "Hey, we should go from where were we before all this? Eighty bucks a barrel, 75, 80. 80, to one twenty. That's that's not anything related to you know to uh, these uh, this move away from fossil fuel. That's that's. That's a trend that's been mm-hmm. ongoing. The other thing I'd point out is that go take a look at uh, oil, natural gas, gasoline prices, diesel prices everywhere else in the world. They're they're up as much, if not more, in other more. parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, are you, how can U.S. energy regulation be the cause of that? It it doesn't make any sense. And you can so, just do a simple event analysis when you get the big changes in global oil prices. There's some news about Russia's invasion of Ukraine that day, or yeah. the European Union banning you know, Russian oil imports. That moves oil markets. The other thing I'd say is that you know uh, investment is picking up. If you look at rig counts, they mm-hmm. steadily rise, and it feels like there's some physical limitations on how quickly you can actually put more rigs into the ground. I mean, because every week I look at the Baker Hughes numbers 
and they rise about the same much as the same amount as they did the previous week. It's only so, and if you go back in history and you take a look, it's only so fast they can kind of ramp it up. Yeah. There's like literally physical limitations on, on doing it. And I would say there may be more now because of the shakeout that occurred in the oil natural gas industries back, you know, a few years ago, um, you know, in the, uh, uh, in the late, uh, like it was 2015, 16, 17. And if you recall, there was a big shakeout. We lost some, some energy companies. And I'm sure they're okay. not immune but, to the labor yeah. supply issues and the yeah, supply exactly. chain problems. So, yeah. yeah. The same, same kind of, and also getting equipment because of the global supply chain issues you point cool. out. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same kind of deal. I read an interesting piece this morning that the real issue is not the, the drilling, it's the refining that we have really yeah. restricted Perfect. refining capacity. So they're not going to drill necessarily if, you know, if the, if the refiner is not able to process it. So, and the refining, uh, building a new refinery is really capital intensive with a very long uh, time horizon. So we might be stuck for a while, even if we can extract more barrels of oil, if we don't have the, the refining the capacity, capacity. to refine. Yeah. yeah. Is that well, why you yeah. get up at five o'clock in the morning? To do all your reading? I, I read through the night. Yeah, <laughs> do you really get up at five o'clock every morning? Did he say that? Or, did he say it five it, in the morning? He didn't he say sent that. an email at like 525. Oh, oh, he did? Well, you, well listen here, Mr. 3 a.m. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a night person, not a morning person. Well, I was up at 525. No, only kidding. <laughs> 625. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I got my Wawa coffee at, at 625. <laughs> Uh, fortunately they're open 24 seven. So that's, that's another good thing about Wawa. Uh, what was it? So if add? this is the case, in, inflation is going to persist, right? If these bottlenecks are truly difficult to overcome the demand remain, unless we get demand down. Well, in demand, you is think coming that down. supply can, down. is going to ramp up. It, uh, demand's coming down, but it's going to be not, coming not down fast enough. enough. But yeah, no, not fast enough. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it's going to take a while to get, all I'm counting on, all I would like to see is for prices to stop rising, because once they stop rising, then inflation is going to moderate very, very quickly. I mean, if we get prices coming in, which I don't expect, you know, until we move into next year, particularly for oil prices, you know, refined product or crack spreads might. So the difference between refined product and, and, and base in the underlying oil may, may gap out because of the lack of capacity. But that's going to improve, too. The capacity is mm -hmm. building. Um, but, uh, I, all, all at this point, I'm just rooting for stable, you know, oil and by the way, natural gas prices are up a lot too, but that goes yeah. to Russia invasion of Ukraine because, uh, Europe is oil supplies are getting disrupted. They get all their oil, oh, excuse me, their natural gas from Russia. They can't get the gas, the gas, therefore the price is up. And now liquefied natural gas from the US is now being shipped over to Europe because of the price arbitrage. They can get so much, the LNG guys, the natural gas companies can get so much more for their gas in Europe than they can here that it makes sense to put it, to liquefy it, put it on a ship, sending over to Europe and then, you know, uh, use it there. And so the price of natural gas is like $10 per million BT2, more than double what it was, you know, back mm -hmm. a year ago. So that the Russian invasion is affecting, you know, energy prices in lots of different ways. Um, okay. What, one other explanation I just want to throw out there and see what your reaction is. Uh, corporate greed. That's the other oh, thing. I knew you were going to bring this up. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? So the, the argument is uh, businesses, particularly large corporations with market power are jacking up prices, gouging 
to take advantage of the situation. And that's, con- that's significantly contributing to the high inflation we're observing now. What do you, what do you think of that, Ryan? I don't No, no, that's not happening. It widespread. It's not, you know, this inflation is not corporate greed. It's economics. It's supply Why? and demand. What do you point to to it's say supply that? Supply and demand. Well, oh, okay. But, you know, there's strong demand. Don't be wrong. There's, there's, there's I say it's gouging. Demand. There's, there's no supply. concentration in any industry. Right. Yeah. We don't, we don't have a monopoly. No? In, well, meatpacking, energy, the administration. You think they're monopolies? Well, oligopolies. Or, 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 or yeah, okay. maybe not, not, maybe not straight up monopolies, but no, but there's like, I don't know, like three. Meat packers that account for the bulk of the, you know the processed meat in the country. Mm-hmm. I, I'm picking on them because that's the most yeah. that's the poster child for this this mm-hmm. idea. Energy companies to the second you know or next on the list. No, mm-hmm. what would you what would you point to to say hey that doesn't make any sense to me? It's not well, I mean, first corporate profit margins have been pretty stable. They actually started to come down a little. Okay, bit for, that was exactly where businesses. I was going. Yeah, all right, explain that. So you know. What, what is it? Why, why is that important uh, in, in regard to, the, to this question? If it was corporate greed, you'd see profit margins really start to increase noticeably because they're passing on more and more of the higher input costs onto you and I, but they've been pretty much they bounce around from quarter to they're quarter. Co- they're coming in. They're coming in. Yeah, when you break it down by declining firm size, small businesses, that's really coming in. Uh, large businesses have compressed as well. Yeah. And then profit margin, meaning the price, the company, the business charges, the industry charges, and the cost of producing whatever it is that, that are producing, labor costs, mm-hmm. material costs, and everything else. That's the profit margin. So if they were gouging, if they're taking advantage, that margin should be rising, right? Correct. They should a, be a raising prices a lot faster yep. than the price, the, the cost of whatever it is it takes to produce it. And that is not happening. The direct opposite is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, I, I do think it is important uh, that lawmakers, the administration, Congress, y- you know, bright, put a bright, shiny light on business pri- uh, pricing practices because uh, that's in their remit. You know, they got to keep everyone honest, making sure that no one does take mm-hmm. advantage of the situation. So when, you know, the, the president gives a talk about meatpacking, well, it comes up in different ways. I don't think it's given a specific speech about it, but, you know, in convert in press conferences and other things. He mentions it. I don't know that that's, I have no problem with that. It keeps everyone honest, you know, make. Yeah, I know. I agree. And it's just, I'm not saying that gouging doesn't happen. I mean, gouging, you know, you can see clear evidence of gouging after natural disasters at gasoline stations and around the, the affected area, you know, gasoline will go through the roof and there's some gouging there, but in, in aggregate, I don't think gouging is the primary reason yeah. we have inflation. Then. Yeah. Okay. Chris, you, Agree, disagree, any color there you want to add? Yeah, I, I, I agree. And you agree. If okay. you think about gas or oil, it's an it's an international market set globally. So mm-hmm. yeah, you have some large companies, but still they're not large enough to set the price of a barrel of oil globally. Yeah, I agree. Okay, here's another one. Uh and Chris, I'll direct this to you first. Money supply. Money supply is taken off. Here, <laughs> I saw Ryan roll his, his eyes. Maybe I should go. I'll go to Chris first because he's will be more objective about his answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, Ryan's will be more fun. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> the, the, you know, historically, way back when, uh, folks would, economists would, uh, central bankers would look at the growth in the money supply as a 
as a as a gauge of inflate of where inflation is headed. So uh, you know the, the the intuition is if if the central bank, the Fed, is is providing a lot of liquidity to the system, providing a lot of cash money supply to the system, like they did during the pandemic. You know they mm-hmm. kind of stepped on the accelerator and pumped out a lot of liquidity. Um, then that ultimately leads to uh, inflation, uh, in, uh, or conversely, you know, if they pull liquidity, then that causes inflation to slow. That's the intuition. So, Chris, what do you think of that argument here? Well, we know that uh, inflation is always a monetary phenomenon, right? So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, well, I, I think certainly money. So that's the monetarist view, right? Yeah. They, they distill it just down to this one argument. Nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. Demand, supply, forget yeah. it. It's just the money supply. I think that's reductionist. Um, I think money supply certainly has an influence. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's the primary drive. If you look historically and try to correlate shifts in money, in, in money supply and then subsequent inflation, and it's a pretty weak. You can find periods where it's relatively strong and then other periods where money supply went up and inflation did nothing. Right. So, right. so mm-hmm. I don't see it as the primary factor inflecting inflation. It's kind of a it, sideshow. It feels like to me, it's not a fundamental explanation for what's going on. Right. It's that's right. kind of a that's right. result of not a cause of what's going on. Yeah. We had a well, in the extreme, if you take it to the extreme, sure. Yeah. Right? To the extreme. <laughs> you can always find examples where it, that, that's the case. The Weimar think... Republic, as I mentioned earlier, because exactly. you know, in that case, the German government was fighting a war, didn't, didn't want to pay for it. So they pumped out a lot of, I guess, marks. Uh, I think they were marks at the time uh, to pay for the war. And that just created the hyperinflation of that period. So that would be a case where money supplied directly caused the inflation that was observed. But it doesn't feel right. like we're not, not at that level though, right? Yeah. We're not, yeah. we're far from that situation. So does it have an impact? Certainly. Yep. But I don't see it as a primary driver of the no, type of the inflation that we're fa- we are experiencing today. We had the same debate after the financial crisis because the money supply spiked after That's the financial point. crisis and there, that didn't lead to high inflation. And the other thing that gets lost in the, the discussion is the velocity of money. So how, mm-hmm. much, how, how quickly money is changing hands. Uh, and that's very, very depressed. I think it's the lowest since the 1980s. It's, it's a, and it doesn't doesn't look like it mean revert. So unless the velocity of money picks up, the money supply can keep growing without generating inflation. Yeah, I mean the way I kind of intuitively think about it is that you, you know money supply ultimately has to affect credit growth. So the banking system, financial system, has to take that quote unquote money provided by the Fed and turn that into loans and uh, provide that to businesses and households, that generates economic activity, which at some point could push you back past full employment, which creates wage and price pressures, and then ultimately inflation. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you go back out of the financial crisis, that chain was completely short-circuited. The Fed stepped on the accelerator, created money, but didn't create any credit. In fact, because we were all deleveraging. Households were re- being forced to reduce debt. The banking system was forced to capitalize at a higher level. So you didn't get the credit, therefore you didn't get the growth. And it took us a long time to get back to full employment. So money, ultimately inflation is a monetary phenomenon, but there's a lot of chains yeah. that have, along the way. Mm-hmm. It's not money 
and then immaculate conception inflation it's money and then all the chain of events i just described so mm -hmm. uh you know uh yeah I, I, don't, I don't think you can point to money supply as a explanation for reasonable reasonably useful explanation for what's going on right now okay. especially given a lot of that money is in check checking accounts yeah it's just, that's goes that that's your point yeah. about velocity it's right. just sitting there it's not doing anything it's not you know it, I'm sure it's going to help support consumer spending in, in dark times. Hopefully that those dark times seem to be coming. So hopefully consumers Ooh, will use that. Did you change that. your odds? No, but you know, I I better, you're, better you're than wavering. even odds of recession. That's pretty, you know, it's going to be pretty hairy. Um, let me ask you another question. Uh, let me, those are, are, let me ask this. Are there any other explanations for the high inflation that we're suffering now that you've heard uh, you know, supply, you know, obviously supply shocks, pandemic, Russian invasion, demand, rent. Wages. Oh yeah. Wages, that's right? another good People. one. Yeah. That's another really good one. So the, 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 the idea is that, uh, uh, that, uh, you, you know, if you we've seen this big, uh, acceleration in wage growth, not, it hasn't kept pace with inflation in, in most cases, but, uh, that, that in, increase in wage growth is now, uh, causing or uh, uh, in inducing businesses to raise prices more aggressively to raise inflation. What do you think of that argument as, as an explanation for what's going on? Well, Ryan follows this one closely, so I'll let him yeah. chime in. Uh, well, the, the causation goes the other way right now is that in high inflation is causing changes in wages. Uh, so it's not, unless that causal relationship flips, then I don't think wages are growing fast enough to be generating stronger consumer spending. In fact, what matters more for spending is not wages, it's real disposable income, and that's actually falling. So mm -hmm. I think that's the counter argument is that, you know, you know yeah, the, the concerns about a wage price spiral, yeah, we have to worry about it, but there's no evidence so far that that uh, wage price spiral where higher wages leads to higher prices and we just keep going around and around has set in yet. Right. Okay. So you're saying, okay, this uh, we've seen this surge in inflation related to all the things we discussed, mostly supply, a little bit of demand, and uh, that's affecting wage growth. The uh, uh, workers, particularly low wage workers, where the wage growth has been most strong, strongest, and where the labor su supply disruptions related to the pandemic most significant, have been demanding and getting higher wage growth. But it, do, it doesn't appear that the that that wage growth is now translating into higher prices and inflation. In, in, for, from in most cases, I mean, there mm -hmm. might be some some industries, businesses where that's the case, but it doesn't feel like that's happening in a macro economic mm -hmm. sense. And you and you say that based on I know you do a fair amount of econometric work here mm -hmm. to try to disentangle this Granger so-called Granger causality test, that kind of thing, and you're not finding uh, in those tests the wages driving prices it's it's really prices driving wages at least so far which which is hmm. if if it did start uh the causality did start to become more self-reinforcing that would be a pro big problem that mean means this inflation is going to be more persistent but you have not observed that yet no not yet and the measure of wages that i use is the uh employment cost index that's the best measure of of wages right not average hour earnings because controls for all the, the, yeah, the composition of jobs, things like yeah. that. So average hour earnings can get skewed based on calendar quirks and also uh, the mix of jobs. So it favors low-paying jobs, then average hour earnings can be depressed. So 
the employment cost index adjusts for that. So that's why I think that's the best measure. Okay. Uh, I was going to say one other thing about that. Uh, oh, I <clears throat> actually, I was in Washington for a, a meeting of the uh, Economic Advisors Congressional Budget Office, and they there was a session. And I don't think I'm violating any rules here. It was no, it's in the public domain. So uh, one of the participants nicely showed that uh, uh, that uh, real wages are declining except for folks in the bottom part of the income distribution. Mm -hmm. So if you go look at the folks in the bottom 20, I think even the bottom 40% of the distribution, I might be stretching it, probably certainly mm -hmm. the bottom 20, uh, wage growth has outpaced inflation, which is very obviously unusual You know, in, in the last 35 years because of the skewing of the income distribution. Low wage workers have been hit hard. But in recent, actually, before, even before the pandemic, wage growth for low wage workers had caught up to the wage growth for high wage workers. And since the pandemic, it's like a switch went on. And, uh, and I think in part because of the, the character of the pandemic, it hit industries that employ a lot of low wage workers. And of course, immigration has been significantly curtailed and then the trade wars and everything else, I think put low wage workers in a better position negotiating with their employers and they've gotten bigger pay increases. So I thought that was quite interesting, you know, mm -hmm. observation. Okay. The other thing that uh, came up recently is uh, I had a question of, you know, will you may remember like Janet Yellen, the treasury secretary came out and said that the Biden administration is thinking about recalibrating the tariffs that Trump uh, imposed on China and other countries. Is that going to help bring down inflation? And I thought it was going to be on the Re margin. Recalibrating meaning reduce or eliminate the Trump yeah, tariffs. I don't, really, I don't know if she... I said eliminate, but just you know, maybe tweak yeah. them. Yeah, tweak means reduce, though. Means yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, they're going to reduce them, but yeah. not. I don't yeah. know if they're going to remove them. Yeah, I think they might. Not on all products, right? Right. Some 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 things are going to keep in place, and some they'll, they'll reduce or eliminate. And you're saying, on the margin, that might help, but it's mm. on the margin. Yeah, yeah. But that's true. I mean, I think I think the estimate we came up with is that the ter Trump tariffs added seven-tenths of a percentage point to price levels. Uh, so if you take that out, if you, if you got rid of all of them all, all at yeah. once, and in, that would reduce inflation by seven-tenths of a percentage point, which, by the way, would be enough to get us from 3.2 to 2.5. I'm just yeah, saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right, 3.2. If we didn't have to use any energy. That's, that's where we landed <laughs> after we decomposed everything, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, well, this takes us to the outlook. Uh, because we've now, at least to our satisfaction, I'm sure not to many other people's satisfaction, we've explained <laughs> why inflation is so high. Uh, in, in, uh, it, based on that diagnosis, if you believe that uh, the, the worst of the fallout from the Russian invasion is at hand, meaning let's take oil, it's sitting at $120 per barrel for WTI, a little bit more than that for Brent that that's kind of sort of the peak in price. Uh, and if you believe that the pandemic effects are fading, not that the pandemic's going to go away, we're going to have more waves, but that each wave is going to be less disruptive than the one before it. So supply chain issues start to iron themselves out. And by the way, it feels like that is happening. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think about that. But if you buy into those two things, and third, that the Fed can calibrate monetary policy you know, in a way that, slows the growth in the economy 
because it's been growing very strongly so that it doesn't blow past full employment in those wage price problems we were just talking about manifest, then it feels like inflation should moderate uh, here going forward. And we could talk first about that narrative. I just, what do you think about that narrative? I just laid out for you. And then after that, we can talk about the timing of all this, but what do you, what do you, what do you think about that? That's, that's kind of our baseline view. You know, our forecast our most likely scenario makes those assumptions and you can see inflation monitoring that inflation. Now I hesitate to say it's peaked, but it's peaking. And it really does depend on oil prices when it actually does peak, but it is peaking because oil prices, you know, we're assuming that will continue to move higher here in a consistent way that inflation will moderate going forward. What, what do you think of that at that outlook? Chris, I'll turn to you first. I, I like the general uh, assessment. I think in the short term, though, I don't think we speak. I think the summer is going to continue to present a lot of inflation. Mm-hmm. So we may get a higher number here. I think oil prices are going to remain high. They may even go higher uh, for a while. Um, but as we get past the summer, past the summer driving season, I think then you might start to see some of that moderation you're talking about. So it's just a question of the timing, maybe another quarter versus an immediate uh, mm. decline. But I, I think you're right in terms of all the, the other fact. I do believe supply chains are improving every day, maybe at, not at the speed we'd like, but I think they're getting better. I think uh, China has shifted on its policies. So that should certainly, around zero COVID, so that should certainly help to ease things a bit here. I am worried about the food piece mm. of this. Um, yeah. And I know that for U.S. inflation, it's actually not a bit huge component, but I worry that that, and for other countries, certainly could keep um, inflation persistently high. Yeah, yeah, I've been watching wheat prices. So you want a scary number? Yeah. 74%. Per, 74%. And that is the share of... Uh, wheat crop that has been uh, harvested in uh, North Dakota, which is a big uh, wheat produce, producing state. Normally at this time, it's at or slightly below 100%. So that gets say, back. What is that? 74% is what? The share of planned wheat harvest that has been uh, produced. Oh. So we're mm. well below where we should be. Is that because of drought? It's weather conditions. It's... Mm. I, I think a whole host of things. Have we price? I haven't looked at wheat prices recently. Are they moving up? Have you looked? Uh, so if you look at the spot price, I look at it every day. It's north of a thousand. Okay, well, give me context. Uh, it would. Okay, I got to go back. Let me look it up. Okay, you look it up. All right. Uh, but before you look it up, I want to get your buy-in on what I the narrative I just the the path I just or the explanation. What's the word? The the narrative the outlook, our, yeah. the outlook for the inflation outlook. No, I'm on board. You're on board. Yeah, I think the, I think the the contours of our forecast are broadly correct. I just I'm worried that the deceleration is going to be slower than mm-hmm. what we're anticipating because that goods disinflation isn't as strong as I was hoping it would be at this point. And to Chris's argument, that services inflation this summer is going to be really picking up. So let's talk about that for a second because I'm I'm you know I'm confused about that. I mean we had. Uh, Gene Soroka on the, he's the executive director of LA ports. And he made the point that uh, the, all the warehouses in, in Southern California and the Southern California has the, according to Gene, I think it, 
this conforms with my understanding that there's more warehouse space there than anywhere on the planet. And that those warehouses are pretty much packed to the gills, right? With stuff because of, you know, even despite the supply chain issues. So that feels like that's going to put, and you can hear Target and Walmart and other retailers talking about inventories, overlaid inventory. Feels like we should be seeing some price cutting here or discounting, you know, as we move into the, certainly into the Christmas buying season. Doesn't, doesn't that, don't, wouldn't you expect that? It is, yeah, but isn't that in goods that are a small component of the the basket, right? Okay, so we're not buying. We won't. We already bought all the furniture we need, right? So, okay, prices will come down there, but that's not a big driver of yeah, inflation, right? Furniture, <laughs> clothing, household goods, household appliances, power washers. You know, <laughs> I know in the Zanny budget, that's, that's a big part of the basket. Yeah, it's know? a big part of the basket here. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah there's okay. for others, so. inflation. <laughs> but I, I mean, going back to Ryan's point, why about goods the price declines? That feels like that gotta be out it's there. Coming. Right? Yeah. It's coming. Yeah, even on vehicles. Yeah. Where I mean, come on, it's gotta be. I mean, there's the supply chain issues. Have, I think have been more serious, and it's gonna take a little longer to work through them to get global production up. But that feels like that's also gonna happen. Although you know, maybe the Russian invasion is having an impact there too, because I think it's affecting equipment related uh, supplies to like Europe where, you know, Germany where it produced a lot of cars. Uh, Certain components, like wiring yeah. harnesses. And things. Yeah. yeah. All right. So wheat prices are $1,085 per, okay. looks like bushel. The lowest in the past year was $640. Before Russia's, before Russia's 640. 640. And now and what, was at, the, what was the peak in this since the Russian invasion? 1,285. Okay. Okay. And, and, and is it is it moving higher now? It's kind of leveled off recently. Okay. All right. Well, we got to watch still, that carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll watch that very carefully. Elevated. Yeah. Well, back to goods for a second. Lumber prices, I they continue to move lo- of uh, sharply lower, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. yeah. South of $600 now. And that They're was the poster there. child for the supply chain disruptions a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. They were at $1,600 per yeah, thousand. Yeah, per thousand square board square feet so yeah. now we're down to what 600 something like below that? Below, below 600 that. yeah i think on friday it was like 585 or somewhere okay. there. okay so that's a good sign yeah hey the, i think of you know those three key assumptions that are driving the outlook the pandemic it feels like we're feel pretty confident about that one i mean you can't mm-hmm. be confident confident about any of this stuff but <laughs> more confident that the pandemic is fading and these supply chain disruptions are going to abate and we're going to start seeing some price weakness, if not outright declines in some of these goods prices. Mm-hmm. Uh, on uh, on the Fed policy, which we're going to come to in a few minutes, because I want to talk about what this all means for monetary policy, uh, it, 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 I think we feel pretty good about that. The one that, that I'm most concerned about, and Chris, you kind of went there in your comments, is... Are we, have we seen the worst of the economic fallout from the Russian invasion? So here's my question to you. You know, the, the reason why oil prices recently jumped, you know, it felt, it felt like we had seen the worst of, of the run-up in oil prices when the U.S. sanctioned Russian oil. And then, you know, prices seemed to be coming back in. They were back below $100 a barrel there, you know, not too long ago. But then the European Union came along and said, we're going to also sanction Russian oil. And that's even more serious than the U.S. doing it because the Europeans buy a lot more oil from Russia than we do. 
uh, and that makes a bigger hole in the in the oil market and has uh, is behind this jump or the spike in in oil prices. The question is, do you think the one hundred twenty dollars per barrel for WTI reflects fully reflects the EU sanctions on Russian oil? Uh, and I should throw into the mix: it's not only they're not going to buy oil; they're they're also, I think, contemplating. Re- requiring any insurer that insures oil vessels that take Russian oil and takes it over to China or India or, India or wherever else doesn't get that insurance. We're going to abrogate that insurance policies, which obviously significantly complicates the, the shipment of oil. I'm assuming that that 120 is, the, is roughly a peak and reflects the reality that the EU is going to sanction and maybe abrogate insurance policies. Do you have any sense of that? Any view on that? I mean, any any thoughts on that? Do you think I have that right? Uh, I think you might have that portion right, but there. What still else could go wrong? To, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. Or another country, right? What if India does decide, you know, be, um, based on pressure, to also diet, reduce yeah. or or so another country? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just throwing out there yeah. could be some other factors here that. Uh, or, or, or uh, I guess any act. other event, you know, the ship gets mm-hmm. stuck in the Suez Canal or something, you know, kind of event or terrorism Gulf, attack. Gulf Coast hurricane. Is that a possibility? It's hurricane. Oh, seasons. Gulf Coast. Yeah. I thought, I thought, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was thinking yeah. somehow I had Middle East in my mind. When you oh, said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, well, we've Gulf. got these shifting weather patterns. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Okay. Uh, a refinery goes out, though. That's certainly mm-hmm. within, if we're, Again, based on this article, if we're really so uh, dependent on the refinery capacity, right? If we get some yeah. other shutdown, yeah, good that's point. Really, it might not affect oil price, but it might but affect gas, diesel, gas price, jet yeah. fuel, all those things. Yeah, right. that's a great point. So. That's a great point. Um, okay, so uh, we're running on time, and we haven't played the game. Do do should we play the game? I mean, there's one more thing I want to talk about, and what this all means for you know, policy, monetary policy mm-hmm. and markets. And then we could play the game or do you want to just shelve the game for a week or what do you want to do? Oh, people love the game. Okay. We yeah. got to play That's the, the game. commentary. I got, I, I, you know, I'm Ryan sure people are already anything. upset. I think he's got like a baseball game to play or something, you know, uh, no, we'll we, make it a quick game. Time. How about that? No, I just used my number 74%. So I got to come up with a new one. Oh, that would have been a, like, a bad number though. Right. I mean, how in the world do we know North Dakota? You, Whoa, whoa, you, you, and Chris, percent? Are you because I didn't email mind? you and I didn't tell you what the number was, like what Chris does. Oh, what was that? Come on, actually, I take that as a compliment because if he mm-hmm. thinks that, I've yeah, that yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty so damn well. You can start, you can start with Chris, yeah, and, and, I, and I do apologize, I didn't respond to your trolling, trash talking, trolling, trash talking stuff. That you, you have to admit, that was a good one, though. The last two have been pretty good. They're all good. Memes. You're good King at it. Memes. You're good yeah. at it. I got to hire someone to do it for me. <laughs> Can we just clarify? I don't know if you have a very loyal following because people will like message me and be like, you know, this is very disrespectful to Mark. And I'm like, <laughs> like, you don't know. Uh, I've been doing this 17 right? years. Yeah. That is hilarious. You got a loyal following. Oh, that is great. I love looking it. looking out for you. I don't yeah. think people Thank realize you. this. Thank you, guys. In, yeah, it's give, just it, in for, give Ryan hell. This know? is just for fun. If you've got a good, hey, Here's a challenge. If you've got a good meme for me to fire away at Ryan, I'll take it. Yeah. Right, yeah, so I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I need, I need, I need help here. I can't, I've never done this 
trash talking trolling thing. It seems no, like fun. Yeah, you're good at. Uh, it. I don't know about the trash talking. Yeah, I think you've mm -hmm. done a fair amount of that. I have. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a trolling on the internet. Well, okay. whatever that is. Uh, all right. Okay, all right. Let's talk about monetary. Uh, Are we doing the game? Well, let's do the. Let's end up on the. Let's end up on the game. Okay. All right. Okay. Because I just to complete the thought here, um, their conversation around inflation. I, it was pretty obvious markets did not like that number yesterday. I was a, a little surprised at how I. I mean, of course, they, it was it was a little hotter than our anticipate uh, what we anticipated. Not on core. We got core six tenths. That was percent increase in the month. That was what we expected. We expected eight tenths on the top line inflation number. We got one. That's the month over month increase. So it was a little hotter than expected. And so you would anticipate some sell-off in the stock market and bond yields to rise, bond prices to fall. But boy, that was a pretty big correction yesterday. I mean, yeah, I think the two-year treasury yield jumped over 20 basis points in yeah. on the day. It was it was a big move. Yeah. So so uh what do you think? Um I mean, markets seem to be taking this a lot harder than we are. I mean, my view on the inflation outlook didn't change as a result of yesterday's number. You know, I would have had the same conversation, same outlook about inflation, you know, a week ago uh, mm -hmm. and as I were having this morning. So nothing changed for me, but for markets, it seemed to change. Is that because the Fed? Fed assumptions? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There so what, what are they now there. assuming on the Fed? Uh, three 50 basis point rate hikes. June, July, September. So September was uh, fully priced in a 25 basis point rate hike. And then after the CPI, it moved up to 50 basis points. Right. What's the terminal rate? That's the, where they, the markets think uh, the rate's going to end up at its peak? Right around three. three Still percent. around three, not mm -hmm. higher than three. I think it's a little higher than three. Yeah. A, little, a little higher than three, mm -hmm. 3%. And right now we're at 1%. We're going to get a half point increase next week at the, at the next June FOMC meeting, half a point at the July meeting. Now the market says a half a point in, in September. September. That's mm -hmm. two, that gets you up to two and a half percent. And then a series of quarter point rate until hikes until we, yep. we get to three, three and a quarter, three and a half, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened yesterday. So they're saying, okay, the, the Fed's going to look at this number and say, uh-oh, uh, I've got to step on the brakes even harder. Yep, exactly. Well, you know, I, I mean to ask you, uh, there's, I, there might be some logic to that, right? Because the one thing that we didn't talk about, which I think is critical to the inflation outlook, is inflation expectations, right? Mm -hmm. And And they had... Inflation expect there's a lot of different ways of measuring inflation expectations. You know, look at consumer surveys, look at business surveys. I like the bond market measures because that's money, people putting their money where their mouth is. And if you look at those measures, they had before yesterday's report come in and we're back pretty close to the Fed's targets, but now they feel like they're migrating a little higher. So that would suggest the Fed does need to send a stronger signal either through the language they use or through action or both, probably both, and to get those inflation expectations back down again, consistent with their targets. So I was mm -hmm. thinking, you know, maybe, and by the way, this, this migration up in inflation expectation was that happening even before yesterday's number, but I'm sure with yesterday's numbers been reinforced that 
you know, right now we have as our terminal rate for the funds rate at 275. That feels a little low to me in the current yeah. context. What do you guys think? Ryan, you're sticking with the 275? Yeah, because I think we might not even get there. The Fed might break the, break the, the economy before we get to Oh, that's right, because you think the, the recession risks are, mm -hmm. are very high here. Yeah. Yeah, but it, given our baseline outlook, everything you know that we've just yeah. articulated. Yeah, I think when we update the baseline, we should probably go to three. Probably go to three. Mm -hmm. one, one more. Well, I don't think we have a 50 basis point hike at the September we meeting. We probably mm -hmm. should put that in. Put that in. That feels like it, it's going to happen. Like it's a done deal. You want the recession's a done deal? No, the 50 basis points. Oh, the 50, 50 basis yeah, points in September. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you assign any probability to a 75 or 100 basis point? Shock and awe. That's to, that's to Ryan. Either. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they would do that. <laughs> yeah. That, especially 100, that would, that would be full-fledged panic mode, and markets would just not like that. Well, yeah, if you want to, if you want to tap down ex inflation expectations, well, we're not right. that far away, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. That, I mean, yeah. I mean, just to I give you a sense of the the best measure in my view when I look at every morning is one year, five year forward. So that's inflation a year from now in the subsequent five year period. You abstract from all the weirdness in the near term, mm -hmm. but get to kind of what people think it's going to be in the intermediate term. Last I looked, that was at that was uh, you know uh, two. Point seven percent, something mm -hmm. like that. So it needs to be at two and a half, you know, to be within the Fed's target. So it's not too far away. It's, it's on the high side, but not too far away. So seventy five hundred basis points would be, I think, really wow. using a sledgehammer, you know, yeah. and, and really risking pushing the here to to concerns about recession risk if they overdo it. Did you look at mortgage rates yesterday? Fixed mm -hmm. mortgage rates. 5.85% on the 30-year fixed. So, you know, they're moving, that's already moving up pretty significantly here. Okay. All right, let's- it, uh, Is it one hike for, you're talking 250s versus 175, right? You actually, in terms of a total, you may not oh, have is to that go what you're as saying? far. Oh, yeah. Or, or okay. it's, okay. it's just, a, make, yeah. you just front, uh, front load it versus- You want to send, a, saying send, we, send a message. A yeah, strong message. message. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. If you're trying to break the psychology. Yeah, you just, but you don't, yeah, it feels like you might break the economy, you know, mm -hmm. to Ryan's point. I mean, that right, 50 right. basis point hike at the last meeting, that was the first time in decades that they moved by 50 basis points up. So going 75 would be. I mean, so far, it, well, that's well, okay, my point. The, the 50 really didn't do much to well, the, well, expectations, the other way, right? The other way you think about it, though, is financial conditions, because that's yeah. ultimately it's, Monetary policy affects equity prices, bond prices, um, value of the dollar, credit spreads, credit spreads, and ultimately the economy. So, if you look at financial conditions, I would say that, that feels pretty close to where the Fed would want it, right? Mm -hmm. Stock market is now down based on yesterday's move, I think 18%, not quite a bear market from the peak. You got 5.85% 5 5 mortgage rates. What are credit spreads, Brian? Where are they? Uh, they are 450 high yield corporate bond spreads. Four, okay, 40, they're not too high though. That, no, their historical average. average is around 500. Yeah, but I guess comp there's compositional issues in the. Yep. In, yeah. Okay, so maybe it is higher than it looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, dollars up, not 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 a lot, but it, yeah, it's up pretty significantly from where it was yeah. a year ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it feels like financial conditions are where you'd want them. Yeah, I would agree. 
I think they went a little tighter. You do. Okay. Mm. So you think they're, do you think they're actually going to raise 75 basis points? I don't think so. I think, okay. but I think I wouldn't put a zero probability on it though. Oh yeah. Oh, no, no, think, it's uh, not zero. All right. All right. Okay. Very quickly. And then we're going to go to the game. What okay. is your <laughs> odds of recession over the next 12 months, over the next 24 months, Chris? 12 months. Um, Why is he delaying? I asked him the same question say, last week. I try to remember what I said. I think 40%. Uh, I haven't changed 40%. And then my, uh, is it 18 months or 24 months? That 24. 24. Oh, then I think it's said 55 uh, or 60 or something. Yeah, 60. 60. So 40 and 60. 40 yeah. over the next 12 months, 60 over the next two years. Uh, yeah. Ryan? Uh, 45 over the next, and then well, um, 75. Okay, that's roughly the same, I think, yeah, right? It hasn't changed that much. Yeah. Now I'm the same. I'm one third probability over the next year and close to even odds, but not quite over the next 24. Okay. But, but if the Fed does what Chris wants them to do, yeah, then, then, yeah, then it goes it's, up. It's over. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I want okay. him to do. I just was. <laughs> I like it. I like how you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spin the story a little there. Yeah. All right. Well, the problem with playing the game at the end of this conversation is we've talked about a lot of statistics. Yeah. So it makes it more difficult, uh, but let's give it a shot. Uh, uh, Chris, you want to go first? Sure. 9.8. Oh, can I say? Can oh, I say? So yeah. Just to remind everybody, the game, the statistics game, we each provide a statistic. The rest of us try to figure that out through questions and clues and deductive reasoning. The best question is one that's not so easy that we all get it quickly, one that's not so hard that we'll never get it. And it, hopefully it's related to the topic at hand or mm -hmm. you know, not, not something that came out at at the beginning of the year, something more recent than that. Okay, so go fire away, Chris. 9.8. Percent. 9.8%. Percent. Oh, do you want some units? Okay. Oh. Basis points. Basis points. 9.8 basis points? Yes. Okay. 0.098%. Is it an interest rate? It is related to an interest rate. It is related to an interest rate. To interest rates. Yes. Interest rates. Uh, is oh, it you got it now. Come on. No, no, it's not the yield curve. Are you... No, of course it is. Oh, oh that's it. It. Oh, Chris, it's oh, you Saturday just complicated morning. things. You said nine basis points, we would have gotten it right away. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point. That's yeah, whole yeah. Point. Okay. Talk about ruining my Saturday no, morning. We talk no about collusion. Well, okay, but only the three of us understand what you just what we what you're saying. So <laughs> go ahead and explain it. All right. Uh, so it's the yield curve, the difference between the uh, yield on a 10-year treasury security and a two-year treasury security. Uh, we've noted in the past that uh, when it inverts, we have a recession within 15 months. At least historically, it's it's always been a great predictor. Um, I, so it came I, down a lot yesterday. I, I think he's wrong, uh, Ryan. I think I, he's if you round take 9.8 and round that to 10, I think it's up nine basis points. The, the spread is nine basis points, I should say. It's not 9.8. Where'd you get the 9.8? Okay. For the record, the ten-year was last quoted at three point one six five. Okay. The two-year was three point zero six seven. So the simple difference. Simple difference. Right. Nine point eight. Okay. Well, you blew away my my statistic because mine was going to be three point zero six seven. That's the ten-year. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it, it is the news, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that as you pointed out, Ryan. You know, you noticed, Ryan, when you said the two-year was up a lot. I yeah. didn't ask anything about that. No, I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was my statistic. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
uh, and that's a really now we should explain it. I mean, that is the clearest barometer of what investors think the Fed's going to be doing. So if the two year rises or falls, that's investors saying, uh, hey, they're going to press on the brakes more strongly or, or take them off the brakes or press on the accelerator more. So that, that's a very key measure to use. Mm-hmm. And back to the yield curve. So the difference between the 10 year and two year treasury yield, that yield, uh, that, that spread, nine basis points, that's pretty narrow, but it was, it was, it's not the narrowest it's been. Right. Oh, it, it actually did invert in early April. Invert. Well, yeah. For a couple of days, but yeah. um, it widened out again a bit. And now it's, uh, it's back down below 10. Right. And I do want to point out that that's why one of the key reasons why my odds of recession in the next two years is high, you know, but less than even odds because we haven't actually inverted in a meaningful way, you know, a hard, what I would call a hard inversion over a long period of time, which would be a clear signal of future recession, but the flattening of the yield curve, you know, nine basis points that would be consistent with an economy that's really going to slow here mm-hmm. and, and right, kind of right on the edge of recession. By the way, uh, I want, wanted to point out, uh, we had the business survey. We do this business survey every week. We've, we haven't talked about it in a while. Uh, I just got it for last week. Uh, the the most uh, uh, prescient indicator in that survey is the percent of respondents that say present business conditions are improving. So they're saying they're getting better. If that falls below 20%, that historically signaled recession. And it almost nails the timing of the recession. It went below 20% last week, 18%. Now, when I say this, it, you know, it, it gets below 20 for a, a month, you know, at least four weeks. That's been the case, but it's only been one week. So we'll watch this very, very carefully. But that, that kind of sent off a little bit of an alarm bell for me. Um, mm-hmm. We saw that happen. But and that's consistent with all the other survey. Oh, well, I'm not changing it yet. That is still very consistent. <laughs> that's still consistent with close, but not recession. But. Not enough. All right. Okay, Ryan, you're up. All right. I'll give you guys don't say 3.165. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give you the thirty-year treasury. Uh, I'll give you an oh, easy yeah. one. Forty-six point eight. Forty-six point eight. Is, is that a Umish? Uh, yeah, I was going to say that sentiment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because that's the only other really expectations. expectations. Yeah. yeah, expectations. Record low. Yeah. Re- what? I think it's a record low. Even in the financial crisis. So the headline consumer I, confidence is below what we saw during the pandemic. Lower than we saw during. The Great Recession. It's the lowest uh, since the early 1980s. I think. I actually, I think well, it's hold a record it. low. Wait, you said record low. Is it a record yeah. low or is it? Hold on. Lowest since I'm the- looking. Yeah. Really curious. Yeah, it's it's a record low. Oh my gosh! Wow. It's lower stock prices and surging gasoline prices. Uh, yeah, no, I can explain it. I mean, the conference board survey, which is more labor market oriented, which labor market strong is much higher, but still that's pretty depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, the political be... breakout is ridiculous. But, no, yeah. I can't imagine. Know, oh, that the yeah. Republicans need two yeah. hugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they, they need a, dr- well, I won't say anything. They need a cherry drink. They need, they need, have you ever had Negronis? Have you ever had a Negroni? Uh, no, you got to have, it's a great kind of summer, 
I hear this goes back to where we started, the quality of life. You got to think about, you know, improving your life. Spend a half hour doing it, maybe 15 minutes. That would be good. And explore the world of Negronis. They, you know, very popular drink these days, but very good. You should know that, Chris. It's an Italian drink. It right? is. Do you yeah. drink Negronis? Oh, you don't like Negronis? Not regularly. No. Uh, <laughs> Well, here, here's the problem with you, you. This is why you don't like Negronis. You only have one Negroni. That's the problem. You've got to have at least two <laughs> Negronis. The second, I'm telling you, there's not many things in the world when you consume more of it, it, it tastes better the more you consume. Would you agree See, with that I, statement? I would. Would you agree with that statement? That's a, that's a, that's a fact. That's an the economics. first sip of coffee uh, yeah, is better than the last sip of coffee, right? Generally. The marginal return is uh, diminishing. Right? But yeah. this is not true with Negronis. It goes the other direction. There is there is a there is a you know a point where it starts to go down. Yeah, I haven't. I think there's yet. a uh, PhD thesis uh, in the works. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this conversation, I definitely having a couple of Negronis tonight. Yeah, so uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, and I'm just saying, I just gave you. A life tip that that's a life tip i consider that to be a life tip High, highly valuable advice you know the the two negroni piece of advice <laughs> i'm going to look to you guys in the future at these podcasts for a life tip that's going to make my life better mm-hmm. it's not all about me making your life better you got to help me make my life better deal right, try something other than hazelnut coffee tomorrow morning how about that <laughs> <laughs> I, very I guarantee easy. the bar is low. I'm not kidding. Uh, all right. Ryan, Ryan has no comment. He's just thinking about his next meme to go after me. That's I can feel it already. I have no, a question for you, Ryan. Yeah, go ahead. Vet services. This goes yeah. right to your household. What, what, ha- what's going on there? Is it up or down? It was oh. down prices. Ooh. No prices what? on the month. Oh, it's a CPI. Yeah. CPI price. Yeah. Why? I have no idea. Oh, oh I can tell you why. I can tell you why. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I've got go good, I've got, I've got good intuition around this. It's it's a price normalization. During the pandemic, everyone got dogs and cats and birds and whatever, and there was a surge in demand. And now we're on the backside of that, right? We we, we went from she's still so demand. busy, huh? She's still really really still, busy. Still really busy, but not mm-hmm. busier than she was two months ago. This is your wife, who's a vet. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, she's a vet. Uh, busy, still busy. Probably the same. Yeah, I can ask her. Oh. It's just a theory. It was yeah. just a theory. It's just one month too. It could reverse to right. Oh, and I can, well, I can come up with an explanation for that too. Just, <laughs> I know you can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, this is a good podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that I'm recommending we do many of these on Saturday mornings, but I, I think it was pretty good. It's good Saturday morning. Yeah. Okay. All right. With that, we're going to call it a podcast. Thanks, everyone. Take care now.